Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. All right, as you take your seat, take your Bible and turn back to the book of Acts. We've been studying the book of Acts now for about a month or so, and we are just getting started, man. This is some good stuff. So this is a wonderful story this morning, and I can't wait to share it with you. Acts chapter 3 and 4 this morning. We're looking at two chapters of Scripture, but don't worry. We're going to try to move as fast as we can, and that's what you expect anyway from me, isn't it? We're going to move as fast as we can, and and we're going to read in just a moment from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. That's where we'll start Acts 3, 1 through 10. If you're new to the Bible, Acts is not too difficult to find. Just go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You'll find Acts, fifth book of the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible in the book rack in the chair before you. Grab that Bible. Find Acts with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Begin to read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. In a moment, we will read Acts 3, 1 through 10. So so our kids, because they're in private school, we got a head start on the rest of you guys, I guess, maybe, maybe not. But they went back to school Wednesday, which was exciting that they're out of the house and all those kinds of things. And so Friday was our first day where we... Uh, didn't have kids in the house, and we went shopping. It was terrible. But anyway, all that to say, I mean, Hudson, he went into kindergarten, so this was a big deal for him. It was a big transition because, you know, I mean, he was at a different school last year in preschool, a much smaller school, and now to go to a big school where his friends aren't at the same school anymore, and a new teacher, and all that. And, and Hudson's just a very sensitive kid, and he processes things, and so he really was kind of uh, just not looking forward to going to kindergarten. He, he would tell us, you know, I, I don't know if I want to go. I'm not ready to go. I'm going to miss my old friends and all that kind of stuff. And so I was really concerned as a father that when he went back to school Wednesday that it would just be, be a mess, right? That he would cry and not want to go into the classroom and all those kinds of things. Well, Monday, uh, he got something in the mail. So when Luke started kindergarten, you know, years ago, uh, we got him a brand new book bag to start school with. And so we did the same for Hudson. So Monday, Hudson got a brand new book bag, like a brand new red book bag with his initials on the back of it. And it's bigger than he is. And so it's a lot of fun. He wore the book bag around the house for a couple days before he went back to school. And he said, after he had the book bag on for a day or so, I'm ready to go to school. We said, well, praise the Lord. And he went uh, to school, no problems at all, and he's loving kindergarten. We're so happy uh, at that. But, but I, I just couldn't believe the power of a book bag, right? Like just a brand new book bag completely changed his perspective on going to school, right? Now, we're not here to talk about the power of a book bag this morning. We're here this morning to talk about the power of the name of Jesus, And you're in this room this morning in part because you believe. You believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. In fact, all across this room this morning, there are so many of us who've experienced the power of the name of Jesus. We have seen how the name of Jesus has taken us from death to life. We've seen the power of the name in such a way that some of us in this room this morning, we've experienced the work of the supernatural, maybe even things like healings, right? We've experienced the shackles of sin being broken in our lives. We've experienced the power of the name of Jesus. 
And, and, and scripture is very clear to us that there's going to come a day that everyone on the face of the planet is going to now acknowledge that there's power at the name of Jesus. And this morning, more than anything else, if, you, if this is the first time you've ever been to church, or first time you've dropped by in a while, or where the, maybe the millionth time you've been here, more than anything else, I want you to be convinced this morning that there's power at the name of Jesus. Because this morning, some of you need to experience that power. And maybe for the very first time in your life, you need to experience the power that comes at the name of Jesus. And this story we're looking at this morning in the book of Acts, and it is a marvelous display of the power of the name of Jesus. And I want to show you in this story as we look at this passage together this morning, I want to show you three truths we see in this passage about the power of the name of Jesus. So take your Bibles, Acts 3, 1 through 10. Rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Acts 3, 1 through 10. Listen to what the Bible says. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him and as he did, and as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and I have no gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that at the name of Jesus there is power. And many of us in this room this morning have experienced that. The power of our sins being forgiven the power of new and abundant life, the power of purpose and mission, the power, Father, of deliverance. We've experienced that. And Father, I pray as we look at this passage today, we just simply be reminded that there is no power in the universe like the power of Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning all across this room that there will be people who for the very first time would experience the power of Jesus. And so, Father, as we spend time in your word this morning, as we hear your voice speaking to us in these moments, help us to listen carefully, attentively, remove distractions from us right now so we can focus in on what you want to say to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've seen this wonderful story of the birth of the church. And we saw in Acts chapter 2 how the Spirit of God came on those 120 believers in the upper room and, and changed them, empowered them for His mission and His work. And, and, and we saw last week in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, how as the early church gets started, about 3,000 people, they're meeting in each other's homes day by day, sharing Lord's Supper together, and daily they're going to the temple, going to the temple to pray, going to the temple to, to share of this glorious news of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so here we are, Peter and John. You know Peter and John. 
two of the apostles. Peter, you're very familiar with because of his blunders back in the Gospels, how he always seemed to open his mouth at the wrong time. And now in the book of Acts, he opens his mouth in all the right ways. It's amazing to see the transformation. And here they are going through the temple to pray. And outside the temple at the beautiful gate, there's a man. A man who was born lame has never walked a day in his life, and day after day, it's the same thing for him. Day after day, someone takes him to the temple gate, and day after day, he sits and he begs. I mean, you can imagine that kind of lifestyle. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Undoubtedly, he probably wanted to get a job. He wanted a normal life. He wanted to work, but he couldn't because of his condition. And so he was dependent on people coming into the temple, hoping that maybe on that day they came to worship, they were feeling just a little bit generous, and they would give him a couple coins, a couple dollars, something, so he could go grab a bite to eat after he left the temple for the evening. He was just depending on the generosity of people, and that was his existence. You think about it, not much different than people who live all across the world in major metropolitan areas. We've seen them ourselves who live day to day just hoping that someone will show some grace to them. That was his existence. And you can understand that it was a pretty miserable existence. And and now, here in this story, something amazing happens, right? Peter and John, they're making their way to the temple to pray and to minister and, and, and I, I don't know, I, I wasn't there, but I imagine that, that as they passed by this lame man, he kind of half-heartedly, halfway looks up and, and says, you know, if you've got anything at all, just help me. And again, the text doesn't say explicitly what happened, but I can imagine that as he just halfway looks up to Peter and John and just halfway asks for some help, that, that Peter reaches down. He grabs him by the face. He says, look at me. Look at me. I don't have any silver or gold. I I don't know why they left home without cash, but they did, right? I don't have any silver or gold. But what I do have is something greater, more powerful. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And can you imagine that moment? Get up and walk? I mean, is this some kind of cruel joke, right? I mean, for, for over 40 years, this man has been lame. He's never walked. And these two jamokos come in and say, get up and walk. I mean, what are you talking about? But Peter extends his right hand. And the man in faith grabs his hand and he begins to get up. For the first time in his life, not only does he get up, he leaps up. He walks about, and you can imagine the hysteria that broke out in that place. I mean, he has never walked in his life. Now he's leaping around, jumping around, walking around, running around, and people know him. They recognize him. After all, every day he's here at the temple. Every day the same faces pass him by. Every day people see him, and now they see this lame man walking. Imagine. Imagine the wonder, imagine the amazement, imagine the astonishment as people see this man who was born lame walking as as if he had never been lame at all. It is an absolute miracle. And as he walks into the temple with Peter and John, he is clinging to Peter. Like he won't let go of Peter. And you can understand why. I mean, just a moment ago, he grabbed his hand, he got up and walked. He's not letting go of Peter, right? And everybody's staying around just absolutely amazed. And listen to what Peter says. This is where the story gets amazing. 
Verse 11, he clung to Peter and John. All the people were astounded. And in verse 12, Peter saw that everybody was amazed. And when everybody's amazed, it's a good time to preach a sermon. And that's exactly what Peter does. Look at what it says. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Now, let me summarize for you this sermon that Peter is going to give. He looks at these people. Why are you amazed? This shouldn't amaze you. Why do you wonder at this? You shouldn't wonder at this. Oh, yeah, I know why you're amazed. I know why you wonder at this. Because you don't believe. You don't believe in the power of Jesus. And Peter will go on to say something like this. In fact, Jesus who was present among you, who worked miracles even greater than this, Jesus, who raised people from the dead, you crucified him. You put him on the cross. You rejected him. But he rose from the dead. And this man here, who we have healed, is evidence of the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the name of Jesus at work, right? Look at what he says. You come down to, to verse, um, verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer and thus fulfill, verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. This is good. Peter looks at them and says, you shouldn't wonder about this. This happened at the hands of the man that you crucified, but death could not hold him. But, but listen, I know you were ignorant. Even though the prophets prophesied about this, and Peter will go on to talk about this, even though the prophets prophesied about this, you missed it. But here's good news for you. If you missed it, repent. Repent, and your sins will be blotted out. You see what the... Jewish people who gathered in the temple that day failed to recognize is the same thing that we failed to recognize as well. We're all lame. We're all sick. We're all diseased. Maybe not physically, but certainly spiritually. Every one of us needs a healing, a spiritual healing, where our heart is made right before the God of all creation. And that only happens at the name of Jesus. And listen again what Peter says, because to me this is so revolutionary. Repent so all your sins might be blotted out. You know where Peter was when he made this statement. He was standing in the temple. And you know why people went to the temple. To have their sins blotted out. Right? They went to the temple taking their sacrifices, and there in the temple on the altar, sacrifices were offered on a daily basis. There was no atonement in the temple. There was no real forgiveness in the temple because after all, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, there is no forgiveness, remission of sins in the blood of bulls and goats. You see, the whole temple and sacrificial system pointed to one that the prophets prophesied about. It pointed to Jesus, the one who would come and atone for their sins. And so now Peter is standing in the temple, the place where Jewish people went to have their sins forgiven. And he says to them, listen, repent, because all of the sacrifices you've made over the course of your life, all of the bulls you've brought, all the goats you've brought, all the lambs you've brought, all the doves you brought, all of it, all of those sacrifices are insufficient sacrifices. 
but at the name of Jesus, the one atoning sacrifice, all of your sins can be forgiven. Turn to him. And so we see just this very real clear truth. The name of Jesus is hope for the hopeless. Obviously, this lame man was hopeless, but, but even greater, this whole crowd was hopeless. And now Peter is offering this message of radical grace. You've messed up. You've missed it. You were ignorant, but today is a new day. Today, you can experience the power of the name of Jesus. Today, you can know that there is a sufficient sacrifice for your sins. And, and I don't know about your background. I don't know your story. I don't know where you came from, but let's just be honest in this room. There are many of us that over the years we've offered insufficient sacrifices. You know it. Some of you grew up in a, in a faith tradition, in a church tradition that focused on what? What you got to do. Your good works, right? That you got to do stuff to make God happy. In order to gain salvation, in order to be right with God, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do, do, do good works, you, you know, this is how many religious people live. If I do enough good, then maybe God will let me into heaven. If I do enough good, then maybe God will accept me. The reality is you're never able to do enough good to please God because he's a holy and perfect God, and you are not perfect. Think about this. For many of us, we grew up in a tradition of religious ritual. That you were told, man, just go to church, go to church every Sunday, get involved, do this, and you'll be okay. Now, does God want us to do good works? Absolutely. Does, does God want us to be a part of the local church? Absolutely. But, but doing good works and, and being a part of a local church and, 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 and going to church every Sunday, those things, and you know this because we talk about it so much, those things will not earn you favor before God. Those things will not make you right before God. All that will make you right is Jesus. He is the sufficient sacrifice. And, and so the challenge for some of us in this room this morning is to stop giving insufficient sacrifices and start embracing the sacrifice that is sufficient. You don't have to work for your salvation because God has done all the work for you in giving his son who died in your place and rose again from the dead three days later. The work is finished, my friend. And the challenge for you and for me is to embrace that work wholeheartedly, right? And not reject it. Many of you know that we're trying to sell our house. We're trying just to move a little closer to, to the church. And so we've had our house on the market for a few months now. And, 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 and this week has been kind of crazy. My wife was in Mississippi for a funeral earlier in the week. So I had the boys and then we got them off to school. So it's been a chaotic week. And in the midst of that, we've had three different showings on our house, which has been great, but it's been chaotic, right? And so, so yesterday, no, Friday, um, we went shopping when the boys were at school for a little bit. Then we came back to the house, and, and Friday was Hudson's birthday. He turned five, and so, so Stacy went to the school with cupcakes and to go celebrate his birthday with the class there. And, and so from like 1.30 to 3 o'clock, I was home by myself. Nobody was in my house. It was glorious, right? And, and so, so I can't tell you the last time I've been at home by myself on a Friday afternoon. And so I did what I have not done in years on a Friday afternoon. I sat in my Lazy Boy recliner, and I fell asleep. And it was glorious. And so I slept, and my phone was in the other room, and so no, nothing disturbed me, nothing bothered me. And I woke up about 2.30, and then I grabbed my phone, and I had all kinds of text messages because somebody wanted to come see my house at 2.30. This was not good. 
because I looked around my house and I'm like, this is impossible, right? And so I went into hyper clean mode, right? Like, like throwing stuff in cabinets, shoving things under the bed, making sure all the toilets were flushed, all that kind of stuff, right? And so, so I got my house spotless in 15 minutes. Amazing, right? So if you need a cleaning service, I'm your guy. So, 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 so I was walking out the house. As I was walking out the house, they were coming in to see my house, and I drove around the block and waited for them to come back to my house, come out of my house. They finally left my house, and, and, and guess what? They didn't buy my house. Can I just tell you how upset I was? For one, they interrupted my nap, right? And for two, I spent 15 hard minutes cleaning my house and getting it ready to show, right? I felt rather rejected. All the work that I did in those 15 minutes, right? For nothing. And if you think about it, the work that God has done for you, giving his son Jesus for you, who died in your place and rose again, yet in this room, there's still some of us who choose to reject. All the work's been done. All you have to do is, in faith, embrace this one who lived and died for you, the sufficient sacrifice, right? And also knowing for those of us who are believers, just be reminded, go back one second, that Jesus is really the best that you have to give. Amen? For those of us who are trying to serve the Lord, Jesus is the best you can give anybody. Peter says, we don't have silver or gold, but we have Jesus. And we as a church, man, that's what we have to offer this community and this world. Because in Jesus, there really is hope for the hopeless. But the story, it gets so much more fascinating. Let me show you this. Look at what it says in in verse 1. Everybody's still awake, right? Listen to what it says. Chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, just as an aside, the Sadducees, they were a group of religious leaders that denied the possibility of a resurrection. It's not possible. Someone can't rise from the dead. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. And so when Peter and John are preaching about a resurrected Messiah, they are greatly annoyed, and so they arrest them. But look at what it says. Verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. In a few moments, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to give an invitation. I'm going to offer you an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what would happen if I'm giving an invitation, and as I'm giving the invitation... North Charleston Police Department walks up here and drags me out in handcuffs, you're probably not going to respond to that invitation. You're probably going to stay in your seat, right? But this is what happens. Peter and John, they're giving an invitation and repent, trust Jesus. And as they're giving that invitation, they are put in chains and and 5,000 people get saved. That's a good day of preaching right there, right? And look what happens. So, so, so on the next day, they're there. And let me show you something. Look at what it says in verse 6. With Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. They asked the question, by whose name did you perform this miracle? Now, you need to notice the names there. There are two names that should stick out to you. Caiaphas and Annas. 
If you go back and read the Gospels, you, you'll know this about Caiaphas and Annas. Caiaphas was the high priest who led the conspiracy to have Jesus arrested. And on the day that Jesus was arrested, he stood before Annas. And he stood before Caiaphas. And if you remember the story, when Jesus stood before Annas and Caiaphas, where was Peter? Running, fleeing, betraying that he even knew Jesus, right? But here, here, on this day, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter is face to face with the very men who put Jesus on the cross. He's not running anymore. He's not denying Jesus anymore. In fact, look at what he says. He looks face to face to Annas and Caiaphas, filled with the Spirit, it says in verse 8. And he says in verse 10, let me go to verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. Let me read a couple of verses. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which, was, which has become the cornerstone. That, that's a quote from Psalm 118, verse 22. Peter looks at Annas and Caiaphas in the eyes and says, listen, God's movement is not built on you. I know you're the high priest, and I know you think you're something, I know you think you're special. But God is not building his kingdom on you. He's not even building his kingdom on this temple in which you serve. God is building his kingdom on Jesus, the cornerstone, and you've rejected him. Look at what else it says. This is a slap in the face to Caiaphas and Annas. And there is no one else, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Isn't that good? He looks at Annas and Caiaphas in the face, the high priests, the, the people that were responsible for mediation between people and God, the people that really were the gateway, right? The gatekeepers to people having a relationship with God. And he looks at Caiaphas and Annas in the face. He says, listen, Salvation ain't in you. You're not the ones who give people access to God. Salvation isn't in this sacrificial system which you head up. Salvation is in the name of Jesus. And there's no other name under heaven by which men are saved other than Jesus. And this baffles completely Annas and Caiaphas. They start conferring with each other. What do we do? Right? Look at what it says. This is so interesting. They saw the man that, they, that Peter and John had healed. He was standing right there. He was proof of the power of God. He was proof of the power of the resurrected Lord. Verse 13, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived they were uneducated, common men. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They saw the man healed, standing beside him. And listen, listen to what it says in verse 14. They had nothing to say in opposition. Nothing, right? And so, so what do we do? Verse 16, what shall we do with these men? They've performed miracles. We can't deny that. But listen, verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Here's our plan. We can't arrest them. They really didn't do anything wrong. There's evidence right here that God's at work in the life of this man. We can't deny that. So here's our plan. Peter, John, if you don't mind, would you help us out? 
don't talk about Jesus anymore. It's just not going to go well for us if you talk about Jesus anymore. So we're going to let you go, but would you just keep your mouth shut about Jesus? And you know what Peter says. Yeah, right, right? That's not happening. We will obey God. We will speak the name of Jesus. And they let them go. But what's so amazing to me about this story is you have two different sermons, really. In Acts chapter 3, Peter speaks to the crowd. In Acts chapter 4, Peter speaks to the priestly family, the religious leaders. In Acts chapter 3, Peter says, turn, have your sins washed away. And 5,000 people turn. Acts chapter 4, Peter talks again about the resurrected Lord. But they don't turn. Truth is standing in the face of this priestly family. There's evidence right there before them. But in their pride, they choose to reject the gospel message. On the one hand, the power of the name of Jesus is hope for the hopeless. But on the other hand, the name of Jesus is judgment for the proud. Because let's just be honest. Even in this room, there are some of us who've been confronted with the truth time and time and time again. But we refuse. We refuse to turn. We refuse to give our lives to Jesus. And we give all kinds of objections to the Christian faith, all kinds of reasons why we can't give our lives to Jesus. And maybe you've heard some of these objections. We say things like this. Well, Christians think they are morally superior. They think they're better than everybody else. I can't associate with those kind of people. Christians are hypocrites, right? They say one thing but do another thing, right? Or Christianity is arrogant. I mean, how arrogant is it to proclaim a message that says there's only one way, only one name by which we are saved? I can't be a part of that arrogant group. Or religion is personal. It's really nobody's business what I believe about anything. Or Christianity is a myth. That whole thing about Noah's flood, I mean, come on, really? That didn't happen. Adam and Eve and a snake in the garden. I mean, that's a child's tale, right? Or Christians are fill in the blank. I can't be around Christians because they're racist, they're bigots, they're, you know, whatever the case may be. I just can't be around those kinds of people, right? Bottom line, bottom line, we reject Jesus because he might disrupt your life. If you give your life to him, it might change the way you have to live. If you give your life to him, You're going to have to let go of something. You see, the bottom line is this. Whatever your objection is, before the King of kings and Lord of lords who died on the cross for you and rose again three days later, whatever your objection is, it is not going to hold up before him. You understand, right? And so so just come in close because I want to make sure you understand this. On the one hand, the gospel, the message of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, it is good news because at the name of Jesus, all your sins can be forgiven. But if you choose to reject the name of Jesus, if you reject the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel is not good news for you. It's bad news because there will come a day that you are eternally judged. You see, the, the gospel, the name of Jesus, it's either going to be hope for the hopeless or judgment for the proud. What is it for you? But let me show you one more thing. We close our time together. And I know we're already out of time, but listen, this is so good. You don't need to go anywhere. Listen to what it says. You come to chapter 4, and look at what it says in verse 23. When they were released, 
They went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When we heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, and now what you have here in verses 24 through 26 is a quotation back to Psalm chapter 2. And, and so essentially the early church is saying, we knew this was coming. We knew it. We knew it based on Scripture that, that people were going to reject Messiah, to, the Messiah, Gentiles and everybody else. And look at what it says in verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servants, Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so the early church, they see what? Everything that's happened to Peter and John, they see it as the hand of a sovereign God at work. That God has used Herod. God has used Pontius Pilate. God has used Israel, the Gentiles, to accomplish his purpose of salvation. They didn't take God the Father by surprise when his son was crucified. No, God planned that for the redemption of the world. And now look at what it says. I love this. And now, verse, 20, or verse 29, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all what? Boldness. Oh, this is so good, my friend, because think about it. These are brand new Christians. They've been Christians for what? A few days, a few weeks, not long at all. Peter and John, they go preach at the temple. They get arrested. They come back to these other believers and say, hey, guess what? We were arrested. Now's the time, if you're a new believer, to get out. We're going to get arrested for this. This just ain't worth it. Instead of bailing, they pray. God, make us bold. And aren't you glad they prayed that? Because listen, listen, listen. Over the next 30 years in the book of Acts, the gospel would go to the ends of the earth because of bold Christians who refuse to give up. And here we are 2,000 years later, sitting in this room, worshiping the God of all creation, because along the way were Christians who never gave up. Do you hear me? Who are bold in their faith in spite of persecution. Who are bold in their faith in spite of how the enemy was trying to stop them. And I don't know about you, but my hope and prayer is that 50 years from now, 100 years from now, that this room, will be filled with people who are worshiping Jesus Christ because of us, a bold church who doesn't give up. And so listen, as we close our time together this morning, the, the invitation really is twofold. On the one hand, I want to ask you the question, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, how will you respond to the name of Jesus Christ? You can either respond knowing that he is hope for the hopeless or you can respond in your pride and experience judgment. And so this morning as we close our time together, what is your response to the name of Jesus? And maybe today for the very first time you need to realize that there is salvation in no one else. And today maybe you want to come turning from your sins and giving your life to the one who died and rose again for you. Maybe this morning you want to experience a salvation that comes inside of a relationship with Jesus. Put aside your objections because your objections don't hold up. This morning, embrace the crucified and risen Lord. In a moment after we pray, there will be people standing at these crosses in the back of the room who are ready to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. After we pray, get up, move to one of these crosses, and begin to talk with those counselors about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the name of Jesus is power for the faithful. 
And I want to encourage us this morning just to pray, to pray like the early church did. And maybe you want to gather with me down front and just ask God to help make us bold so that in the years ahead, we will see the evidence of God's work through us as people give their lives to Jesus. Let's pray for boldness. Let's pray for graciousness, that we will extend the grace of Jesus, tenacity, that we won't give up in this mission that God has given us, and urgency, that we will see that today the lives of people eternally really hang in the balance. So maybe here this morning as a believer, you haven't been very bold lately, very urgent, very tenacious about the call of God on your life, very gracious even. Today, would you just come with me and pray that God would make us into a people that in spite of opposition are bold for the sake of the gospel? Whatever God is leading you to do this morning, however he desires you to respond, you respond in faith and repentance. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for time together in your word. I pray right now for your spirit's work in the lives of the people gathered here in this room. For that person who needs to give his or her life to Jesus this morning, right now, compel that person to move to one of these crosses, to begin to experience forgiveness of sins and transformation at the power of the name of Jesus. For those of us who are here who are believers, make us bold, gracious, tenacious, urgent, for the mission of God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Rise to your feet as we have time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of the Lord leads you this morning.